middle of the res road we're your hosts ricky and Alyssa. we're here to share the success stories of people who took the opportunity to join the trades and how these opportunities can be achieved by anyone looking for success our work may be seasonal but our stories don't have to be become your own success story bonjour my name is joel welcome to middle of the res road I like how you do that intro. Boozhoo. Yeah, that's, you know. answer the phone, too. Yeah, that's, you know, like. It's the uh, energy. It, it's, yeah, it's a lot of energy. And um, I guess it's uh, more motivating for people and more open just to, to greet, you know, in a, in a positive manner. And it helps people to relax and be themselves. And even, you know, like our listeners and stuff, you know, it makes it more inviting. True. Uh, a little more resy, I guess, and and that's you know like that's how I live my life. So just a little resy. Just day. a little, yeah. Got to throw a little <laughs> dash of res in there, you know, like Nana Gijig over here, you know, like uh, he has he has that ability, you know, to you know get resy when he wants to, but I don't think he knows that. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys got just came back from Tulsa for your audition. How did that go? Yeah, it was. It wasn't an audition. It was more of a um, open call. Yep, open call where we just went in and filled out some paperwork online, and we took pictures. And you know, like it, I was trying to make it a point to um, pose for my picture, but they just wanted me to stand there. So you know, I I, I like to be different. I what like to be creative. I was gonna crawl on the stairs. <laughs> he tried, yeah. He said, Can I crawl on the stairs? And she's like, No. <laughs> no. Just serious. She was really serious. You know, I'll just crawl up, look back, <laughs> give him the look back, and give him a couple of Lilies or something. So you guys didn't like read any lines or anything? No, but so the if the the virtual on call was a little different, it was really vague. Just your name at uh, headshot and email address. But when we got down there, it was, <clears throat> it was name, where you're from, how many languages you speak, what, what are you good at? What do you do? Have you had acting experience? Do you want a speaking role or non-speaking roles? You can check both if you want. And then if you wanted to not, if you wanted to be an extra, you filled out another application and submitted headshots. And then we, Went through, um, there was like 5,000 people down there. Totally. So they, they, they it I, took forever for them to get through. And we got there early. We were, I was 222, you were 220? No, you were 221, I was 222. So even at 10 o'clock, there was, we were 200. And yeah. then that line started going all the way around the school down there. I seen pictures, it's crazy. Yeah, like uh, Charlie got a video that he never uploaded because uh, some crazy stuff happened, you know, when we we're uh, at the end, you know, like there was these couple native ladies, you know, and they're standing there and there was a dog across the street, really pretty dog, you know, and that lady starts saying, hey, big boy. <laughs> I could swear she was talking to Charlie. <laughs> it, on the video, it looks like that. Uh, we were just walking. 
and he throws me under the bus right away and says, she's talking to you, bro. And I was like, no, no. And then I'm like, it's in the video. I have to upload this thing eventually. And I'm like, there's no way around it. And if somebody watches the entire video, they're going to be just laughing the entire time. And then we came, we came back up and, uh, <laughs> the same girls <laughs> look at big boys coming back to talk to you <laughs> it was great it was awesome you know like because the laughter and the humor and you know it was it, it was a very very great place to be you know and it was uh I've, it was a learning experience too <clears throat> so if anybody's ever going to do that and i i know I, if i do it again I do any other open calls because uh, what kind of got me wanting to do that is a local member is in Yellowstone. If you guys didn't know that, I seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he just showed up to open call to the audition or did filled out his stuff for the non-speaking role for the extras and he's on there. So, but what I learned is I, I took two shirts that morning because I was like, man, I bet you all these natives are going to show black and red. Because I had a black, red, and gray uh, button-up shirt. And I was wearing it. And I started looking at the line. And the whole line was <laughs> nothing but black and red pe- black and red uh, shirts. And I'm like, yeah, men and women, I'm like, You're, I'm never going to stand out if I wear this shirt. So I had a green shirt. And I think I was the only... The only one that I've I seen the entire time I was there that was rocking a green shirt, and Joel showed up in a blue shirt. So we were complete, completely different from what they were used to seeing the entire uh, the entire time we were there. You know, people tried different things, and it was interesting to see how people tried different things. Some people showed up in like if they, they just watched the old Billy Jack movie. Dude had a, a feather, flat, flat a feather, rim. too. Yeah, the guy feather, with the feather. flat rimmed hat, uh-huh. uh, jean jacket, jean jeans on, and um, you know the the Leon, the professional um, Ray Bans. Yeah, and so then, <clears throat> and then some some people were rocking traditional outfits, which was crazy. It was like sixty five degrees already, <laughs> and this dude all leather. Nothing but buckskin on. I was like, man, and he's. It was sixty-five degrees, you know. It was so. It was nice. It was actually. I'd be nice. so sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> you, you picked a wrong regalia for how nice this weather is. <laughs> but it was interesting. Everybody had their own way of trying to stand out, and I think the people that stand out, you know probably have a better shot at being noticed is what I can honestly say because if I've done events I've done different things and uh since I've been a professional we've the first thing I've learned uh, up at St. Scholastica is how to throw on an event and so you know the people that look all the same you know you're not going to really notice them especially like teaching if I'm a from teaching Watching students come in day day in day out, people that just blend in together, you, know, you really don't notice unless if their work stands out, or they stand out as a person. You know, it, you're just taking a picture and you're putting down your 
you know, filling out your application or what or whatever. And if you're going to look like 4,000 people, like, what's the chances of yeah. standing True. out? I bet you that stood out the, can I crawl on the stairs? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I had to, you know, like, try something a little different, you know. I mean, who who doesn't have a look back picture, you know? Oh, look at this guy. He's crazy. <laughs> like, so, but. um, Tell him about what that um, woman had said about middle of the res road. Oh, yeah. Like, um, there was this lady that was kind of directing and guiding people in. And, you know, like, we were standing there and she's just standing there. So I, so I started a conversation with her and um, I can't directly remember her name, but I asked her if she wanted to do an interview with us and. She was like, let me think about it. And it looked like she was very busy. And I was like, well, we do a podcast for Middle of the Res Road. She was like, I heard about that. And she works with the directors of Reservation Dogs, you know. like oh. So that was kind of cool. She said her sister listens to Middle of the Res Road all the time. So I was like, wow, that's kind of cool, you know. like um, That's just, awesome. Yeah, just to, to be able to acknowledge, you know, like the, the podcast like that was amazing you know like how how far that we're reaching out to you know like indian country you know i mean uh, the name the name does speak for itself you know like um i think that that name resonates with people yeah you know because there's a lot of people from the reservation and that name's very catchy it's like when i first saw the name i was like yeah <laughs> that's a good name i like it you know and and a lot of people um relate with that even though even though they don't live on the reservation or you know like uh, i didn't grow up on the reservation it's like everybody you know as native people know exactly what that is and you know we carry that you know like even even though i'm a city indian now it's like i still carry you know like the res with me all the time and a lot of people do well and that's the thing too is like no matter where you go, like, you always feel connection, even if it's to the reservation, like a reservation. Like, I always feel connected to Mille Lacs every time I go back. And even though I don't live there and I haven't lived there since I was 16, you know, it's still it's part of my home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Familiar. And- it's very familiar. And that's how I feel about every reservation. Like, when we we're driving down there to Oklahoma, we we're passing these different reservations. And and it's like, we, we're curious you know, like, like I was very curious about it, you know, especially the, um, aunties. Oh, maybe that too. Maybe <laughs> that too. You know, <laughs> um, what one was it that we crossed right in Oklahoma? Cherokee. Cherokee. Yeah. Cherokee. So I was like, you know, probably a lot of princesses down there. So I wouldn't mind checking it out. Should we take a stop? <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear that all the time. too. <laughs> My great great grandma was a one sixteenth Cherokee princess. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, like when we drove by it, the the land all looked the same, and I was like, you know, like I was like kind of curious, like let's go find where the Res Road is at. You know, like where's the Res Road on this reservation? Because we were on like an interstate all the way down, so we didn't get to see much of it. But I was like, I just let's go drive through it one time and just. You know, just so we could take pictures and bring it back home. And um, I took a lot of pictures, but, you know, I think it was more or less of the of the land and the green grass 
you know, that, that was beautiful. You know, we got by a certain point on our drive and all of a sudden the grass, you know, the snow is gone and the grass turns green. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know, like, and it was only past Iowa, you know, like there's no snow down there. So it was, it was a change in the, in the climate, you know, and that nice weather, I started sneezing, you know, I was like, (laughs) I was like allergies or something, you know, and um, it was, it was a great, it was a great time, but, uh, the story about, yeah, so after we got our audition done, um, we saw this lady out in front selling middle of our, um, reservation dog shirts. So me, I, you know, me and Charlie went and bought one and as we were heading back to the car, you know, like some ladies by, by the car were like reservation dog shirts. And I was like, Yeah. I was like, when they select you for a part, do they give you a shirt? <laughs> hey, oh, no. hey, all these ladies, like twenty I, different accents. Yeah, they're all. That's what they said. They all, hey, you know, like <laughs> so. It was pretty funny, and it was it was actually kind of cool, you know. And they got that humor, and you know, it gave them a good laugh, you know, and kind of sh- it was um very familiar like just to be around that many people and share that same type of humor that's awesome it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun and seen some of the videos of you guys going live and what would you guys rate the trip out of 10 that was 10 out of 10 it was like for me if i just it felt reviving like to see green grass i didn't know how much i missed green grass until i seen it the birds we must have seen 200, 300 hawks on the way down, eagles all over the place in Iowa. But for the majority of the trip, we just seen hawks almost the entire way down, entire way back. And it was amazing to see that many birds. And then I just, I mean, you know, I, I guess I, a couple of weeks before that, my cousin was down in Oklahoma and he said, you know what, the one thing I noticed that when I was down in Oklahoma is that there are birds and up here in Minnesota when it's winter time there's no birds out you don't hear birds chirping you don't hear any of that it's just dead silence and I it kind of hit me I started thinking about it and then I didn't know what he was really talking about until we got in Oklahoma and then you could hear the birds out you might not have seen them but you could hear them Mm -hmm. out in the trees and out in the woods so you know that was you know, seeing life again and seeing uh, seeing people out and about doing things, not being stuck, stuck going into gymnasiums, going into buildings, what being out and about, that was completely different and needed and rejuvenating for me. So we end up hitting some meetings, and right across the first night, right across the parking lot, uh, you know, you need a medical medical card to get into it. But right across from the meeting down there was this pot shop named Dank. Yeah. <laughs> the big weed sign so. on there. right, And then right next door, AA meetings going on. <laughs> so I'm like, man, this is must be a challenge to if somebody's struggling or somebody's, you know, or it must just be reaffirming, like, I'm good. I don't need that. So... I could see how it works both ways. But it was interesting. That was everywhere down there. Everybody 
seemed to be okay with it. And I kind of got, I was kind of, I've been getting more and more used to that, you know, it's going to be a thing, thing here in Minnesota and, uh, out in white earth, it's decriminalized. So like everybody smokes. So I just had, when I walked in there, when I walked up, when I, I was in white earth before this, about a month, two months before that. And I was walking around, around white earth and everybody was smoking. And finally I asked, I'm like, why is everybody smoking here? Like, why is it so normal? They're like, it's decriminalized. So, um, it was just, I'm just getting kind of used to it. That's just where we're at in, in the United States and Minnesota. Yeah. And, um, we actually did talk to someone down there, like, uh, that worked in one of those shops and they said, it's very simple to get a, to get a card to just be able to go, I know, like, in Michigan, it's recreational. I know there's a lot of states where it's recreational. And um, I know people here that have it, and they get to, they can just go right to the pharmacy and get it now, you know, like, get get um, weed and stuff, you know, like, and vapes and stuff like that. And it, it don't bother me either, you know, but I know some people look at it as a gateway. You know, but I don't know. I guess it's where you're at in your mindset and how you think about it. Like, like I, I, I know I can't do it. You know, yeah. um, you know, it'll, it'll really, uh, it won't be enough for me. You know, like that's just how I got to look at it. You know, and like it, it was never enough for me. It's like I, you know, quit doing that at 25. So, you know, it's been almost 20 years since I, you know, like I, I was doing that, you know, but if, if it helps people and it helps mentally and it keeps them off other things, it's like, yeah, you know, like that's good that that works for some people, you know, but for me personally, it's like, it won't work for me. You right. know, I'm, uh, you know, like, um, I'm just steadily getting right with my own self, you know, like rather than have to take take or smoke or do something it's like i'm trying to quit smoking <laughs> you know i'm trying to quit smoking cigarettes and and that's a challenge in itself so it's like um when i you know can understand that you know the world's just going to work the way it does and the people in the world are going to work the way they do and everybody's going to do their own thing when i think of it like that it's a lot easier to understand how the world works you know i don't got to understand why when i understand why uh, one of my elders said, I'll get lost <laughs> if I start understanding why, you know, people are the way they are, you know, and and I just don't, you know, like mind my own self, mind my own bobber and watch what I'm doing and how I'm responding because that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've tried. I've smoked a couple times before, but every single time I got paranoid, my thing is time just moves too slow. Like, I'll be sitting there on my phone or whatever, and I'm like, God, it's been, like, three hours, and I look, and it's five minutes, and I'm like, ah, this isn't fun. I don't like this. (laughs) Well, and if, you know, if anybody, if you guys didn't know, we talked with Sadie. She is the Director of Agriculture and Cultivation at Missouri Made Marijuana, and she runs the facility there, and she does all the sciences and all of that. So that's a couple episodes back, if you guys haven't listened or... Anybody else hasn't listened to it. It's very informational. 
and it's really cool to learn like the science yep. behind it. Yep, and I I do agree with that. Like they 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 put a lot of education behind it now. Like, um, I know when my grandma was still alive, she used to say it helped with their arthritis or you know or it like helps it, people sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I mean, you know, there's good sides and bad sides. I, I you know like. Um, I've saw, you know, some people on, on the gummies that, you know, I was like, that's, shouldn't be doing that to you, you know, like, it, it shouldn't be laying you down, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the day, you know, I mean, that's overusing, and so it's, uh, um, I gotta look at it for myself, like, it's, it's, um, everything not, in moderation. Yep, not, 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 not gonna be anything for me in that, Yep. you know, like, I, I know that. I can't work. I can't do, you know, the things that I do physically if, you know, I was controlled by that, you know, or even was on that, you know, it's like, cause the work that I do, you know, with the union, it's like, you gotta be totally sober. You know, you gotta be yeah. told, you know, you, you got, you gotta be to pass the UA at any given day. Right. You know, I mean, you go to work really tired one day and they think, you know, you're, you know, altered some way, somehow they can take a UA and it's like, ah, uh, I want to be ready 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. I want to be ready to submit any time, you know, and that's just how I got to live my life. I always always heard that old saying, like, one is too too many and two is never enough. One is too many, a thousand's never enough. (laughs) Well, you um, you know, I got 16 years under my belt now. So I've seen, you know, in 16 years of recovery, I've seen uh, medical medical marijuana come in, and I've heard stories about people who are sober and living their recovery lives. And then I know that, you know, people have diabetes. I know people have cancer. And I'm taking better care of myself today than I am than I have ever been, you know, maybe since I was uh, in a high school. So, and I'm trying to do that because I want to live a healthier life. I want to have, I want to be able to run around with my grandkids one day. I want to be able to play with them. I don't want to have a whole bunch of health problems. So I'm trying to take care of myself, trying to prepare myself for the future. But at the same time, I do have, you know, I'm at 16 years and I do know that for pain management, that's an option. And for, you know, because I don't know what's, what life is going to throw at me. And some days, you know, I take a look at some elders that are um, struggling with diabetes and neuropathy in their feet and can't sleep at night, can't sleep for days. And I'm, you know, people that turn to trying different things to fall asleep instead of narcotics. Like, I can't say that's a bad thing. I can't say, you know. If an elder gets to finally sleep for eight to ten hours, I'm like, I can't say that's a bad thing. And that's something that um, all of us should have, all of us, any any one of us, even in those in recovery. Like someday, you know, you might need it. It's not going to be abuse at that point. It's not going to be something that you're doing to run away from your problems. It's going to be something that's going to um, incre- increase your quality of life. So I, I'm just to the point where, I'm thinking that 
you know, because they've done so much research, they've done so much science behind it, like you're saying, that, you know, ha- has to be an option for people to say yes or no to. But y'all missed out in Oklahoma. Y'all missed out on <laughs> bologna sandwiches. Oh. oh, my God. That menu was like I've never. Yeah, the chips. I've never heard chips. of somebody go so into depth about how to make a bologna sandwich. How many different ways to make a bologna sandwich and how thorough they explained. It's like an art form. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it that's what it was. And you know, like it like she went into depth and I was you know, we were like, Wow, you know, served on a bun and you know, like <laughs> I was like, Man, you know, like with all the extra toppings, I was like, I and it was uh twelve twelve bucks. Yeah, $13. $13 bologna sandwich. So I was like, better be fried, better be breaded, better be, you know, like a lot would have to go into a $13 bologna sandwich. And then everybody was texting me. Like I posted the story on Facebook. Everybody started texting me saying, hey, you got to try it no matter what. And we already had left the restaurant by the time people started replying to me. But Everybody that's been down to Oklahoma may have lived in Oklahoma. They said you got to try the bologna sandwich. That's a spot? That's just something to eat because they smoke it. So So is it a a store or is it like a restaurant? No, everybody everybody sells bologna down there. Like it's smoked. So all the barbecue joints, they all have different things that they're good at. And I guess bologna is just something that they're good at in Oklahoma. (laughs) Better have some good chips on that sandwich, too. Yeah. <laughs> 16 ounce slice of bologna. <laughs> you know, like selling it, making it sound like steak. <laughs> you know, but then everybody, I had catfish down there. And then this guy comes up to Joel and he's like, Yeah, this catfish is probably the best in Tulsa, but, you know, it doesn't be anything that we do at home. Because they, they noodle catfish down there, so they go down there and catch it with their hands and stuff. And, or fish Yeah, yeah. You know, like that thing. <laughs> they go find rocks in the river, stick their hands in the cracks, and then just let the catfish bite them, pull them out. Or they go um, uh, fishing for them. And so, but they, I guess, like, the best catfish that you can try are the locals that actually – just do that for a living that just go out there every week catch cat catfish and do a fish fry that's what uh amanda was talking about that we were trying to get uh interview on her too and she's one of those traveling nurses and um she's one of the nurses that took care of my brother when he was in the hospital before he passed away and that's where she's from and that she she was talking to us about noodling and she was like, well, I have to get you, throw you guys in that hole and make you go catch some fish. I was like, no, man, there's poisonous snakes and all kinds of crap. I was like, no, I'm not, alligators? I was like, no, I'm, I think I'm good I think with I that. I tried at least once. Give me a fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll catch it. <laughs> I have that try anything once menta- mentality. Would you jump right in there? Probably. I mean, obviously, I'd be, like, scared about it, but. I think Rick, 80-pound catfishes. Yeah, yeah, I think catfish. Rick, Ricky would be more scared for you. 
I think I could do it. I want to try it. I think I could do it. And then my brother, he's from Oklahoma, my adopted brother, Chata Indian uh, from Oklahoma. And he's convinced that he's going to teach me how to catch rattlesnakes. And I can't stand snakes. I don't <laughs> like snakes. I don't. I think they're. Uh, I respect them, and they're. They're something else. I just don't like snakes. I've, I have a fear of them, but you know, to try it and see if I can do it, see if I can overcome my fear and catch them. You know, I might try to let him teach me how to catch a rattlesnake because I've been thinking about it because he keeps on talking to me. He's like, "We're going to Oklahoma someday. We're." We're going to catch rattlesnakes. We're going to go pick some flint in the river. Um, and then you're going to learn how to do it. So, and I'm, I don't know, I'm to the point where he's convinced me that I think I might try to catch a rattlesnake just to get over that fear of snakes, get over, get over the fear that this thing can kill me. But if I hold it right, and I grab it, and I pick them up right, I'm good. Because it's interesting listening to how they grew up on the res down there. His dad and his uncles go out, would catch all these rattlesnakes, throw them in a box, and put them in the box, Have show the kids the entire time, this is how we do it. And then when they got enough snakes in there, when they got like 20, 30, 40 rattlesnakes in that box, they kicked that box over. All those snakes go slithering away. He's like, all right go catch those snakes again. And then all those kids would go catch them. And that's wow. how they did it. And Yikes. that's how they learned it. And, you know, he's not afraid to pick up snakes. Any kind of snake he'll pick up. He's not afraid to pick up uh, black widow spiders. He'll just hold them in his hand. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do all that. And then, he, like, somebody had got him a sage wood, cracked that thing open, black widows everywhere in it. He picks up some, uh, picks up the the big black widow that was in it puts it in his hand, looks at it, goes outside in Lake Elmo and puts it outside. There's a bunch of black widows in Lake Elmo probably. And, and that's, you know, like that's gotta be like a tension thing. Like he just has no tension. Cause I think, you know, like I think that stuff can respond to your tension, you know, yeah. like, like, like if you're shaking, holding it, man, it's going to bite you, you know, and, and if you're very calm and you're not scared of it, you know, I mean, I think your body puts out different, you know, like different vibe vibes and stuff, you know, if you're very calm, you know, it probably relaxes whatever you're messing with and, you know, it knows you're not going to hurt it, but if you're shaking, you know, <laughs> like it's going to bite you because, you know, like you're... You can feel your feelings. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's what I think about that stuff. Like if you're not scared of it at all, or if, you know, like you've been bit by it, or even know people that have been bit by it, know what it can do to you and you're okay with that, then I could see losing that fear. But I think them that kind of stuff could feel your fear. You know, like, if you fear it, it's like, don't play with it. You know, like, but if you don't fear it, pick it up. You know, like, I used to wonder why, how, you know, some people would just go pick up bumblebees and put them outside, you know, big ones too, you know. And that's what we got up here is, you know, bumblebees and stuff mm -hmm. that stings. But I used to just be amazed by that, how some people could just do that, just pick them up, 
that thing stings you, man. That's a big sting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, but no, just go put it outside. And I was like, I, I, I would never do it. <laughs> I, would, I would never do it. You know, like, that's why that's admirable, you know, like to work with that poisonous stuff like that. I wouldn't do it. I just know as soon as I got a hold of it, I'd, I'd mess up. Oh, <laughs> oh, I would, you know, and it'd turn around and snap me, dude. I just know it would. Well, most of the time, I guess, and this is what has me convinced that I can do it. Even if you take a bite from a rattlesnake, he says, you know, he's read about them. He's probably, he's read about it, read about them, studied them, probably because he's been doing it for so long. But majority of the time, they're, um, dry bites because it's their defense so if they do a wet bite especially on a person they're sizing up the animal they're doing and if it's a wet bite um, they won't have any uh, any more defense for a while until their venom gets back in their veins until they produce enough venom to do another wet bite so majority of the time I guess it's going to be a dry bite and, you know, once in a while when you step on them, you might get a <laughs> wet bite. So, and then people don't know this. I keep saying it. I educate people on this. The Mississauga rattlesnake, and it's named after, it's a Ojibwe name. It's Mississauga, Mississauga Egan, probably from um, Mille Lacs or, or Lake Superior. It just... The, what the name in Ojibwe means is Great Lake. And what the Mississauga rattlesnake, the range of it goes all the way into Canada. Ontario, lower Ontario. So from lower Ontario all the way down, there's Mississaugas. So, you know, between Iowa and Ontario, that's Minnesota. The whole place. So we were up, up moose hunting a couple of years ago and i'm like man we should come back up here in the summertime try to find some mississauga see if i can i just want to be able to take a picture i got a picture of a mississauga in isabella in um tofty wherever up in moose country and he said no you know the best time to go right now into these bluffs would be this time of year i'm like hell no ma'am let's do that next year I'm good, because he said if you get bit by a Mississauga, he said majority of the time, especially if you happen to find one in Minnesota, it's gonna be a dry, it's gonna be a wet bite, because they're gonna um, be too afraid of you. So if you run into a Mississauga in Minnesota, you know, he's thinking majority of the time it's gonna be a wet bite, and there's another thing about that that there's no anti-venom probably in minnesota for a mississauga so hope that game over let's go play with one <laughs> no way man i would not even mess with it like some some stuff is just not to be messed with it you know yep. and I, i'm a true yep. believer of that man like like Our even client. like the even like the moose you know like moose and stuff like that it's like no man i'll, I'll look at it from half a mile away i'm good here you know like like, but when you're in that path, uh, you know, like even bears and moose and all the stuff we have up here, it's like, it's like that thing gets a hold of you, you know, just like the buffalo people over there trying to oh, and pet the wild <laughs> buffalo, you know, like 
what what's going on there? Why are you doing that? You know, and then get your pants ripped off. Holy, why did you go? Why did you go that? Why did you go there? <laughs> did you see that anything. that lady's trying to pet the buffalo and whips her up in the air, rips her pants off, and runs with her pants? I watched it fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a big thing on social media about why you don't there's, pet the buffaloes. There's so many people that get trampled by buffaloes in Yellowstone every year. It's crazy. Well, I saw this pair, this couple. Trying to have their kid pet the pet a buffalo out the window, and that buffalo just bumps that kid. You know, like I was like, why would you let? You know, like there's this can get like as big as a truck too. There's like, just yeah, there's just some stuff is just meant to be left alone. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't you know like you you don't taunt the beast, man. You taunt the beast. You know, like what's gonna happen? You know, like. You're going to get your pants ripped off. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, like, you're going to lose fingers. You, I mean, you can break bones. You can do a lot of stuff by messing with stuff that you don't, you know, like ain't meant to be messed with. You know, but it'd be pretty cool, you know, just roll up to the power on your new buffalo. <laughs> real indigenous. <laughs> yeah. Res- first reservation dog right here. <laughs> Second language speaker rides a buffalo. In all buckskin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I learned, though, too, about the entire experience is uh, it gave us a – he has knowledge of it now. I have knowledge of it now, and we can share that with people, um, what they're really looking for. Because and uh, just like reading a job description, you know what they're looking for. You know what they want. They did ask if – you had any previous acting experience or musicals or singing um what traditional activities you know what languages you know so all those things like if you have things going on in your life or if you want to try those things if you want to try out for different roles like diff, you know auditions you have to put yourself out there you have to try a musical you have to try it you should try a the you know try a play uh produce a short film you know we all have iphones now there's no reason why we can't make cool tiktoks so it did it reaffirmed some things in my head that you know it's okay to go on tiktok it's okay to do super trendy things and to do your own thing and people produce some crazy art things on tiktok that are one minute long really nice shot really well edited and they're dope and just rem- just reminds me that um you should just keep trying whatever you're good at even learning they even asked what instruments you know how to play so i know how to play guitar i know how to do bass guitar i know how to do piano drums drumming all of that so the more you do the better you better chances you have to get in a role right yeah like and that's how i believe in um gifts you know like gifts that were granted with you know like like since we were little you know like like i was you know like charlie's a gifted you know gifted speaker you know gifted in all those different things you know and and it's like i been singing since i was 10 you know like it's like so 
I was always told, well, you'll know a lot more language than you think you do, you know, and I, and I, you know, like that really resonated with me, you know, I mean, at least 10 years ago, like, well, yeah, you sing a lot of songs, you know, you know, like, and there's a lot of language in those songs. It may not always be Ojibwe, maybe Canadian, it may be, you know, it's all these different languages, but they're like, you're, you're saying a lot of different languages through them, yeah. through the songs that you're singing. So it's like, and, and that, and that made me feel gifted. Like I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that, you know. And they're like, yeah, you, you know, you sing a lot of language, and and that made me feel good, you know. Like I was like, and when I really think about it, it's like, man, I know thousands of songs with words in them, and and I can't translate them all for you, man. I I could translate some of the Ojibwe ones just by the words that are in the songs, you know, but I. I couldn't translate like Sioux songs. I couldn't translate, yeah, um, like Canadian dialect songs, you know. But it's like I know them. I know how to say the words, and I know how to. But I, I, I wouldn't know how to speak it. Yeah. So it, it's like you know, and that made me feel like gifted too. You know, like Charlie was just saying that you know, like we as Indian people, you know, like we all have, we all carry different gifts. Some of us bead. Some of us sing. Some of us run ceremonies some of us you know speak the language some of us you know do um tanning hides yep making drums yes all that stuff all that stuff that we do i got to joel and i we both got to put that on our applications that we know how to make a drum we know how to make hand drums we know how to tan hides we know how to learn how to make rattles i've learned how to do a whole bunch of things so they asked in that one section, at that bottom, it was a very bottom one. But they, so having that question, I knew that they would read everything on there. It was at the bottom of the application. What traditional things do you know how to do? And which was really, uh, it was nice that they that question is on the bottom, because then they would have to read everything that you put in between top, your name and to the bottom kind of reaffirming that, you know, all the things that we know as Ojibwe people or as Anishinaabe people or, or Indian people in general, that a show is actually pushing and reaffirming that all those things that we were taught yeah. are useful. Speaking of the traditional stuff, like learning all that, aren't the big drums starting up soon? Some communities like LCO, they have drum ceremony four times a year. Every season, they ha- they have a drum s- drum ceremony. If you're gonna go out, or if you, I, you should, we call in Ojibwe we call that Nanda Bemadizike. Nanda Bemadizike, you know, in the language that means literally seeking out life, making life, or searching for life. It's, you're searching for life to put that back inside of you. So just like that trip, I felt rejuvenated. Felt like I got to see life all seeing that green grass, seeing those birds, that puts something back inside of me. That's the same thing that our drum ceremonies do. So you go there with your tobacco, go there to the ceremonies. If you're going to the drum ceremony, have your tobacco. You don't really need anything else. If you're staying for the social or you can always take like 40, 60, 80, $100, whatever you want, break your 100 down to 20s. Get some tens, get some fives. A lot of ones. A lot of ones. So when if somebody's being seated, 
And so what's being seated means when somebody gets placed on the drum, they there's a ceremony that they do to seat somebody down on the drum. What the community does, what those drum members first do, the drum members go first and everything. Putting tobacco in the tobacco dish, drum members go first. So if you get to the ceremony early, make sure the drum members get to go up there get go, get to go up there first. You don't just cut ahead of the drum members. Some of those people that belong to those drums, they feel funny when people just come in there and they put their tobacco in the dish and they make their offerings without knowing that drum members do that first. Yeah. So drum members on everything first, except for eating. The visitor, visitors get to go first then. So if you get to go there for dinner, they're going to seat the visitors first. So if the, getting back to when somebody gets seated on a drum, what they do, the drum members go up and they gift that person whatever, blankets, tobacco, and money. And then everybody else... All the visitors, everyone that belongs to that community, everybody that came to the ceremony, give them some, um, usually cash. Usually, I usually like dropping 5 or $10 on those people uh, on their blankets because it's a lot of responsibility. They, have to, they should show up there to their drum ceremony, all their meetings, help out whenever they get asked to help. You know, that's, they're taking on that role to sit on that drum for life. Yep. So I kind of, every time I go up there and I've, I've had really good teachers like this past fall, I got to roll around with, um, roll around Ojibwe country with Obazon. We went everywhere. We went to LCO. We went to Wisconsin. We went all over Malax, all over Minnesota, you know, as a one of a kind of education and I get to do it again starting next weekend, get to go to Bad River with him. So I get a different type of education. He's a he's a drum uh, owner, as they say. He takes care of the drum that he sits on. And I get to hear things that a lot of people don't get to hear. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. So I get to learn all this stuff. So the drum members get to go first on all, everything. Just to let the drum members do their thing. Um, have your tobacco. And then... During the ceremony, I feel like, I feel like if you're going to go, it's cool to go to the social dance. You might get some, you'll get some life from it. You'll get, hopefully you get some gifts from there and they'll do you good and they're, they'll do your life good and you'll feel good about getting a blanket or some money from those social dances. Or if you're a woman, you'll get some cloth or whatever. Sure, the ceremony that, like, Lee and I, we skipped. Lee is Obazon, if you guys don't know Lee Staples. He lives down in, um, down south of us from um, St. Croix and Mille Lacs. Um, but what we do is we take our, we what we were doing last fall is we would take the, just go the uh, entire ceremony we'd skip almost every single social dance and in lco they don't do social dances it's just ceremony from friday till sunday um evening so i i feel like if somebody's going to go to the ceremony 
go to the ceremonial part. Um, ceremonial part of the the drum ceremony. I so you can put your tobacco down because what the tip what, when you offer your tobacco, you can put your tobacco down for your kids, for your um, family members, for anyone who's struggling, <coughs> anyone who's sick, anyone that you're thinking about for yourself, for your work. Um, and it's just a good thing to do. And then what happens is they take that everybody's tobacco, they fill their pipe up and they'll smoke it and everybody, your tobacco gets sent out there. And then when they're doing the bundles, you get to go up there, make an offering again. And then you can put some money in those bundles for those drum chiefs that are going to be taking those bundles back to their respective drums anyone anyone that belongs to anyone that takes care of a drum that's in attendance they'll make bundles for them and what you're doing is when you put your tobacco in there the way it's been explained to me what you're doing in there you're making an offering your tobacco and your money um what they're what you're doing is you're sending that to your tobacco for all your relatives anyone you're thinking about anyone that that you're putting tobacco in there to be taken care of. You send it back to those communities, to those rooms to use, and you get even more help. So your help just keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And I really believe in it. It's, it's a really powerful ceremony. It's one of the most powerful ceremonies that I think we have as Ojibwe people, and everybody should take advantage of it. I mean, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you know people who are struggling, ask for help so when i go to those ceremonies one thing i was doing by the end of last season end of last fall is i started asking obazan and i started asking other attendees what do you put your tobacco out for and some people looked at me strange and like i don't know i i wanted to know i wanted to know like what do people do that i don't do i won't force my own learning i wanted to ask questions i i i know what i put my tobacco out for i know what's been explained to me like kids um my family members i never put tobacco out for myself ever at these ceremonies and so one day i asked lee i'm like man lee what was on what do you put your tobacco out for he said obviously my relatives the ones i care about then myself and then my work and i'm like mind blown i'm like this old man just told me to make sure you put tobacco out for myself. Like I never thought about it. I always thought, like, that's a selfish thing to do. And the way I see it is you got to pray for yourself. You got to make sure that you ask for help so you can continue doing what you're doing, helping others, taking care of yourself so you can take care of others, take care of your kids, take care of your loved ones. And I'm, like, mind-blown. It changed my whole perspective. And I asked, um, I asked a good friend of mine, I said, hey, what do you put your tobacco out for? She said, anyone I'm struggling with that I work with, if I don't like them, I put tobacco in that dish for them. And I was like, mind blown again. I'm like, man, because <laughs> I worked in a tribal organization, and there are some people I just don't like. There's some people that I don't get along with, and even outside of work, there's some people I don't get along with, some people that don't like me that um, I don't like. So I put tobacco out for them now too. 
And I'm like, man, it's just the, there's no stupid question that you can ask during ceremony. If you got a question, ask. God, I always feel like there are, though. I'm always no, like, I, afraid to ask questions. So one thing that helped me get over that fear where I can ask a stupid question is when I'm working with the elder, especially learning how to speak Ojibwe, I'll purposely say something wrong to get them to correct me. They might think I am a bad Ojibwe speaker half the time, but if I'm trying to get them to, if I'm trying to get a word out of them, that the way they would say something, I'll say it completely wrong. I know I, me- I mess up how we say conjugating. We conjugate words like if we're saying, Bimo say, she walks. And I'm trying to get them to say, uh, she walked to the store. I might say, Nibimo say, Adawe, we're going to go. Or Nibimo say, Zagaganing. I walk, I walk to the lake. And they're like, man, that, that's not how you say it. Gibimo say, Adawe, we're going to go. Or Adawe, we're going to say, you're walking to the store. So by saying something wrong, it makes them correct you. And I think that's the beautiful thing about learning language. And if you're a good language student or if you're a good anything, don't be afraid of making a mistake. And then make mistakes on purpose so you can get the actual meaning behind something. I think it's the one of the best ways to learn is making a mistake or making a mistake on purpose to cause your own learning. So don't be afraid to ask questions at ceremonies. No, I'm, I'm never afraid to ask questions in ceremonies because I don't know. When I started learning ceremony, I didn't know anything. I was, I didn't even feel Ojibwe when I started learning learning about ceremonies. I didn't understand them. I didn't know that there was... Uh, you know, the ritual part of it is like towards the, is in there. But all the speeches, I didn't know that there was an order to them. And so once I learned that there's an order to them, they started making sense. And then you got the ritual part. And then you got like a closing part of how they end ceremonies. And it's kind of follows this entire um, agenda or schedule ceremony and once i learned that i just could see ceremony from all over the place like man this is ceremony even the way we do na meetings it could be like a ceremony we have a format we follow the format and then we end it and that's all ceremony and that's how ojibwe people roll we follow a format and ceremony it's not the exact same each time because everything's different Mm -hmm. people say things differently nobody wants to say the same thing twice or three times four times in a row so you get to hear different ways to say something or different ways to um in those in those different sections of the ceremony where man um listening to the speakers get bored and they start throwing out different things or they start throwing out old things that they spontaneously remembered this is what this old man used to say during this part and then they'd explain it and what's really cool about being a second language speaker and learning Ojibwe is you begin to understand that when they start translating when they work on translating when they 
let people know what's going on in the ceremony, it's only cliff notes. So it's better to know Ojibwe because then you're getting the full essence of the ceremony. You might not understand all of it, but you're definitely getting a bigger picture than the translation. So it's always good to, or, you know, you roll with somebody that knows how to speak Ojibwe and they'll help you out. Ask questions. Tobacco questions. Yeah. So how, how do you how do you separate that? True. I wanted to know that. Um, I'll share what Jago Amagukwebun shared with me. Um and Pete Gobble. Pete was a good friend of mine. The late Pete Gobble and his mother, Panji. I told Pete one time, I said, man, I got to go ask your mom a question. He said, make sure you bring tobacco. And I'm like, it's just about the powwow. He's like, yeah, whenever we do something in ceremony or culture related and you want to know it, you want to remember it, give them tobacco. Like, it's not going to cost you anything. All you're doing is you're giving tobacco. You want to remember this for the future. You want to remember it sometimes. It might make sense to you later on. So you give them tobacco and... I still remember the one question, the first question I got to ask her. I asked her, why do we not use eagle whistles during the powwow? And she, she said, she said it from her point of view, from Malax, Gawain Ninawind, and Seaman, we don't do it that way. And she said that me, me and you ate to go those are the, that's the bond the Dakota people's way of doing things they use that eagle whistle they they blow that eagle whistle and that's what I've heard from multiple people I mean Ojibwe people were good at adopting new things and adapting and not saying we're we're stagnant people we adapt we take on new items we learn from different tribes just like everybody else um, people do use eagle whistles now, but historically, culturally, we did not have the eagle whistles. So she said we don't use them, especially during our powwows. Mm. And so I've always remembered that. I gave tobacco for that, and it's always stuck with me. I get to share that with people. And if you're not sure, you can ask somebody, hey, I just have a question. I want to give tobacco, and uh, it's just a question about culture. Here's some tobacco. But if you have a if you have something that somebody wants to do or want that you want them to do for you, you should ask them, "Hey, will you consider doing this for me? Can you consider naming me? Can you consider naming my baby? Can you con- can you consider making this for me? Can you consider yada yada?" whatever if it's uh something that you need somebody to do for you always ask i try i'm not saying it's a thing um i like it especially when somebody gives me tobacco hey i have a question just about culture can you answer this for me sure then they give me tobacco and i'll consider their question but if they need me to do something like to do a funeral to do ask to name somebody to help them out or to make something and they say, Hey, can you consider doing this? Then they put their, put my, 
put their tobacco in my hand and then I can consider I can it leaves me a way to say no if I can't say no and somebody just puts tobacco in, in my hand you know they just put tobacco in my hand and I'm like obligated to do it at that point it's hard to say no at that point so I try to always give it out and I think that's the best thing that we can do as Ojibwe people is respect that elders are busy, people are busy, and they might not have time to do something. So if they say no, you know, you can ask somebody else. Thanks for thanks for that insight. I didn't know that, to be honest. But I think that's about all we have time for today. Oh, always oh, just an honor to be here with you guys and, and be on the podcast. And, you know, like we always... Uh, we always seem to be doing the right thing while we're doing this, you know, like in whether it's uh, helping people or educating or whatever we're doing, it's it's a positive thing and it feels good. And to be able to come here and smile with you guys is amazing. Miigwech, Kenawea, Bizendawayeg, thank you all for listening. And I'll leave you guys with some Ojibwe. And we, we say that like every time we leave work, it's one of the things that we do choose to say, or we cut it short. Wayne Sana. Wayne Sana literally means like good, but it's a short for Wayne Sana, Minobimadazig. Take care, live a good life. So if you guys don't know what, you don't have to always say Giko Albumin or Bama P. There's different salutations to say, like Anguamazig, another one that we say all the time. When we leave work, on Guamazig, on Guamazin. On Guamazin, if it's one person. On Guamazig, if it's multiple people. On Guamazin is another way to end something. Is um, It means think of everything you do or say. And I love that one. I do that one with my kids. I do that when I was a teacher. I would say that to my students all the time. If I'm working with people, I say that all the time to people. It's just a good thing to say to people when you're leave when you're parting ways think of everything you do or say i like what i what i get most out of that and what i would when i was a teacher is that if i tell my students think of everything you do or say at least they thought about it before they got in trouble or they said something with an intention they did something with intentional and if there's consequences there's consequences at least you know they thought about it they considered they did it anyways, but to be intentional, I think, is a very Ojibwe thing to to be. So, Anguamazig. Anguamazig? Yep. Angu- it's going to make me think all day now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Oh. Oh. Oh.